the reason I did that. To show you and remind me that when you read the Bible, it's not a periodical, it's not Newsweek magazine, it's not a Tonganoxie mirror. When you read through the Bible, there's so much more. There's so much more than we get through a casual reading. And uh, I can tell you this after studying it for years, studying for years, every time I go through a passage, there's more to get. And Amen. that's the way That's the way it's written, that's the way it's going to be, and the Bible says we're going to be in heaven one day learning forever. But I, I uh, went through David and Goliath with you, because there's so much involved there, and all the types and the, the story, and then God's man, God's man, and God's people. And we are that. If, we, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're one of the chosen, you're elect, you're all these things, and people get so garbled up in the language of the scriptures, they sometimes don't understand or afraid they don't understand what it means. Election. And I've had this debate with scholars and quote-unquote scholars. What does it mean to be elected? Well, what does it mean to be elected? Uh, you vote for your, God votes for you and Satan votes against you and you, you're the tiebreaker. That's election. It's, 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 it's written through the scriptures and Peter said, now you're the elect. What does that mean? You've chosen him. You've chosen two to one to be a Christian. Satan is working day and night to keep us from uh, being Christians. And then if he can't keep you from that, if you get saved, he keeps you from being joyful if he can. He keeps you upset and worried. And uh, we, live in a, we live in a fascinating day when the world's waiting for God to move and change the events of the world. But I'd like to say this morning, I believe this, he's exposing the church first. Judgment begins at the house of God. We have a lot of people who call themselves Christians that's ready to kill some people, but they're not willing to save anybody. We have a whole, whole bunch of Christians in this country that are locked and loaded. That's what they say, I'm locked and loaded we got an arsenal, we're self-sufficient, or all of these things. But they're, they're willing to kill people, but they're not willing to save anybody. They're not willing to witness. It's just, it's, I believe this. God would have moved months ago. But we're so far behind. We don't get it. We're full, we're full of hate and rabid. Our teeth are dripping. And we're slobbering. If we could just kill some people... Uh, we'd be some better Christians. And the, and the thing that David did shows us there is a time for war. There is a time for war. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time of war, time of peace. But every, everybody that doesn't believe right now is not to be annihilated. We're to witness to them. That's, that's the work of the church is to share Christ with a lost world. There's some ugly stuff going on, and I want it to stop. I do. I, I want it to stop. And if they're not going to get saved, they need to go. That's, that's true. If they're not going to come to Christ, terrible. And so I've chosen this morning to take us to 2 Peter chapter 1. What, when you look at David in the Old Testament, you see a warrior. You see a most compassionate man. He's, a, he's the only one in the Bible that God says about a person, he's a man after my own heart. Now, I would take that. The Lord said some things about some people. He called Abraham a friend. He called Moses the meekest man who ever lived. He called John the Baptist none greater born to a woman. And uh, he called David a man from my own heart. 
And so we went through that passage of David's. Okay, it's uh, maybe tedious to you, but I wanted you to see with me that verse by verse in the scriptures, there's real meaning deep in there. It's not something to just read a sentence and go, okay, got it. Because people say, well, you, you're always um, knocking down scholarship and intelligence. No, I'm not. I'm saying that we don't possess what we think we do before the Lord. If God gave you a good brain, good for you, use it wisely. Praise God. But we don't look at one verse. I don't care who you are on this human realm under the veil. The Lord started this world in a canopy. The Lord made a canopy that it didn't need to rain. And when that was gone, Satan covered it with a veil. Read that. It's in Isaiah. It's through the word. He pulled back the veil. So we have the veil. We have the veil. And we live, Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. I don't care who you are and how smart you think you are. You don't have the total picture. We just can't. This, we can't from this side see it all. We can't. But thank God if you're sincere and serious and you ask him, he'll show you a whole lot. He'll give you enough that you'll have this blessed hope. And man, we do. Amen. If you're a Christian this morning, you are part of and into and have a blessed hope. A Amen. blessed hope. What is that hope? The hope is he's going to take us out of here before he showers his wrath upon this world. We're out of here. Raptured out. But until then, we have a life to live and a life that we're going to stand before Christ one day and give an account for. I don't know, and you can tell me. This is a Sunday school. This isn't a worship hour. You can tell me. Do you think most people think of that? No, most people don't think I'm going to stand before Christ one day face to face and give an account for my days. I don't know how he's going to say it. I don't know what he's going to say, but I, I'll tell you how, what he's going to do because it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says he's going to run up everything we've ever done through a fire, his cleansing, judging fire. And what we did for us will be burned up. What we did for him will be purified and we'll hand it back to him. Praise God. Gold, silver, precious stones, that's faith. That's worship, and that's good works. Now, interestingly about good works is people get this so confused. You're not saved by doing good, but you're saved to do good. Now, that's not a hard concept, but people just lose their life. People are going to go to hell because they can't figure that one out. We don't, we're not saved by being good. Amen. You're not good enough. You're just simply not good enough. I'm not good enough, but he is. And when he died, he prayed. He paid for our not good enoughness. He paid for that. We're not good enough. But he said, "I'm good enough, and if you'll ask me, I'll save you." Now you're saved by faith, through humility. We have to come to him and say, "Lord, I know I can't save myself. I've lived long enough to know that." Because every time I get up and say, "Lord, I'm not going to do that again," I'm not going to do that again. I do it before ten o'clock. How about you? Or is it just me? Yeah. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not doing that again, Lord. I'm, I'm not going to do it. That's, and then by, by lunchtime, we've done it twice, you know. That's called the flesh. We fall down. But thank God he forgives when we confess. He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think, I think people, if you would think with me, those verses are bigger than we can know. Cleansing us from all unrighteousness has a restoration healing involved in it. I'm working with a couple of people now, right now, 
Well, Jack and I have been busy. The ministry life is a busy life right now. Praise God. Family's falling apart left and right. Kids going crazy. People knowing, knowing right now that they're lost. They're in a sea of a free fall, and they're scared, and they're nervous and worried. And, uh, and what people do when they come to that crossroads is fascinating to me. But we're going to look this morning in the next hour in the Revelation where it says, but they would not repent. Can you imagine being in a world where the, the mountains are moved, the rocks fall, the seas are, are out of place? Can you imagine not saying, God, save me. Yeah. Lord, save me. The one who can do this thing, save me. But they're getting mad. They get, they're fascinating times we live in. There's people come in to me in Lawrence, Kansas and say, well, you know, they're getting ready. There's a religion in the world that and politics and religion is all tied together now. We need to separate those things. But anyway, it's all tied together. And I haven't had a couple people tell me they're involved in a movement where they're getting ready to explain away the rapture. It's going to be from their side. A cleansing. It's going to be a cleansing. Well, can I tell you from our side, it is going to be a cleansing. But the Holy Spirit's going to go with us as, as far as residents. But he will still be here, right, in presence. He will still be, his presence will still be here. And that's the only way people could still get saved after the rapture of the church. When the Holy Spirit comes and says to the church, come up here, snatches us away. I hope everybody here is going to leave a pile of clothes and be gone. And people are going to say, well, I was working beside them. And they're gone. They just left. They're gone. And... Uh, and so the world getting ready, the unbelieving world getting ready to explain that. Mother Earth had a cleansing, you know. Well, there's no such thing as Mother Earth and Father Time. I don't care who you're talking to. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those are the creative people. And I live long enough in a place where I'm sick of hearing about it. I always had this fantasy when I got old, and I'm, I'm old now. I thought I'd move to a little place like Mayberry. One church, one cafe, one sheriff, and a half. Two dogs, and a bunch of old ladies that can't help but tell everything they know. I thought I'd move to a place like that. There is no place like that. I don't believe it. This thing has covered the world now. We've traveled a little bit since we've been married, and we're looking at people that... Little bitty towns here, just absolutely obscure little places, and there's people walking down the street, look like I can't tell what gender they are and what their natural hair color was, what their flesh used to look like. Praise God. Everywhere. It's the influence of this satanic idea. But we look at first Peter or second Peter chapter one. We look at this because I wanted us to look at this description that Peter gives after after walking with Christ for three and a half years. And when you go to the book of Acts, you'll see that John and Peter were walking up to the temple one day. John and Peter, two fishermen, revered by all. I mean, they were like, yeah, the Oscars. But it said they perceived the crowd there, the, the religious crowd, perceived they were ignorant and unlearned men and took knowledge of them. Here's what I want to tell you. Christ will change your life. Praise God. Christ changes things. He makes everything different. Everything is different now. 
I can't get through my head. And it's part genetic, but it's mostly my experience as a Christian. Uh, my family's hard-headed people. If we lock on something that's right, we're good for life. If we're not, it's a mess. We're hard-headed people. I come from that. Act like you don't. Sit there and look at me like that. So uh, I can't get this through my head, how people can be introduced to the Christ and be a very nonchalant, passing thing. I don't, my head can't get that. We are, and I say this, and people say, you say this a lot. Well, keep coming back, I'm going to say a lot more. We're going to stand before Christ one day and give an account of his life. Now, Second John, First uh, John, chapter two, the, the second to the last verse says this: We should live in such a way that we'll have confidence in His appearing. Paul said a little different. He said, "Not be ashamed of His appearing." Same thing. I'm telling you this: These Christians that get enough of church, uh, Christ, the Bible, fellowship, music, the Christians that get enough of that, and then, and they're out there buying guns and loading up and. Uh, Oh, they're all self-sufficient now. They're all out off the grid as far as they can go. The Lord called us to be on the grid, in the mix. That's right. Not of the world, but in it. That's right. Witnessing to a bunch of lost people, not, not threatening them or sitting home feeling holier than them, going, boy, one of these days I'm going to unload. I'm going to take as many with, you know, okay, so, okay. Okay, you're tough. You're really tough. You know how tough you are? I'll guarantee you there's a negative spirit in that home. There's a very negative, nothing's quite good enough for these people. They don't have anything going, but nothing's good enough. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's all around me. It's all around me. And yet they don't want to save anybody or help them get saved. You can't save anyone, but they, I'm talking about getting them to the salvation. They don't witness to them that way. They threaten them with, bring it, brother. Just bring it. We're lock-loaded, and we got 100,000 rounds. Well, you know what? I don't doubt there's a good chance I'm going to be shot in the pulpit one of these days. It's getting hostile out there. I don't know, but I know this. Peter gave a tremendous, after walking with Christ for three and a half years, he spent some time then in the ministry. The Lord put him right in the ministry. Peter was the first one to start preaching and 5,000 saved, 3,000 saved. Peter come out of the chute. And it's tremendous when you read it. Acts chapter 1, the first eight verses, Jesus said this. He came back. The resurrected Christ came back and taught a 40-day Sunday school to his disciples. When he left, he said, I'm leaving, but don't you go anywhere. You're not ready to go out there. Don't go out there. You don't get it. And he came back from the Father. He came back here for 40 more days. After 10 more days of Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit rushed in and filled the church. Praise God. He said, I'm going to go, but the Spirit's going to come. And I was with you, but he'll be in you. What a promise. Amen, brother. That's why I know when I'm about to do something wrong that I'm about to do something wrong. I'm not, I'm not good enough character or nature or person to always know that, but the Holy Spirit reminds me that's not something you're supposed to be doing. You're talking about the wrong family now. Our family doesn't do that. Your parents ever tell you that? We don't act like that. I heard a lot. I was acting different than we were supposed to act a lot. 
I heard a lot as a boy that we don't do that. We don't talk that way. We don't act that way. We don't blah, blah, blah. We don't do that. And my dad said this one day, if you get away from the school, I'm gonna, when you get home, it's going to be bad. He said, you're going to wish that was the only whipping you got. And he told the teachers the first day of school. He sent a note with me, at least. I know it said, if you have to whip him, let me know. He'll come back a brand new boy. And I'll tell you something. A couple times I did. A couple times I did. But did you know something? He was my dad. We have another father now. And he says we have family behavior rules that we don't cross so that it doesn't go well. My dad told me one day, I don't know what I'd done wrong. He set me down, put his finger under my chin. He could hold your head up for you. He didn't have to work out very hard. He'd stick his finger under my chin. He said, that teacher's paid to teach, not to put up with you. And when you act like that, you disrupt everybody else's learning. Now listen, how sameness, how much is the sameness in our behavior here as Christians? Yeah. We're not here to disrupt people. We're here to add to. We're here to bring in. We're here to uh, and when we're talking on Wednesday nights now, great discussion on, on the, how do we witness? What is a witness? What do we do? How do we witness? We're going to have a lot more of that coming. But I'll say this just in, in uh, passing this morning. Your witness is exactly that. It's your witness. It's your story. How do I get into witnessing? How do I open the conversation? Tell them, tell them how you got here. And we're looking this morning at something. I want to share that with you. Peter. A dirty old stinky fisherman. I bet them people. They're no longer mad, man. They get in the water. They get in that lake water and wash off. He used the word precious five times in two letters. I'd be afraid to do that. Oh. The world has almost perverted the word precious. Precious means an almost uncalculable value. It's a value that almost can't be calculated. Peter talked about the great things and the precious things. And we go to 1 Peter now, and it says, and this is the description, 2 Peter chapter 1, this is the description of a Christian life. He says, Simon Peter, he introduces himself, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained, that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Now this thing starts out, and I'm telling you, this is also a mathematical equation. And I'm going to say that the entire scriptures contain, they are a mathematical equation. When God said, let there be light, that's a mathematical equation. When he's, when he's filled the heavens with the stars, and he knows the number of them, that's a mathematical equation. When he set them in different spaces by the span of his hand, he placed them and said, stay there. That's a mathematical equation. It all can be calculated and figured. He knows how many people are on the earth. He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He knows what we do. The Bible's a mathematical equation, but when we get down here um, to verse... Five, it starts saying, add this and add that. It's a plus sign. But he says in chapter 1 here in verse 3, 
according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God's power, who are we talking to? Them that have obtained the precious faith. If you're a Christian, past tense, his divine power hath given unto us all things unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Listen, he's already given us all the things that we need, but what is the, how do you unlock it? Through the knowledge of him. You get in there. That's why I can't understand people that say, oh, I, I got enough Bible. Folks, these people, there's a mental illness in there. there there's not... It's spiritual, but there's a, there's a deep mental illness in, I don't need fellowship, I don't need scripture, I don't need sermons, I don't need uh, church. It's, it's deeply disturbing mental illness. We, we know the power that we have. We live the Christian life through the knowledge of him who called us. That's why Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 2, I count everything that I've accomplished in this life so far, and he was the man. He said, I count everything that I had. Paul was the most decorated. He had more certificates of achievement. And he said, everything I've ever done heretofore, everything I've done to this point, I count as dung. And it's a beautiful word when you, when you think of why he said that. What does dung do? So you're supposed to put that around the fruit trees. You're supposed to put dung around the fruit trees and fertilize them. He said, everything I've ever done up to this point in my life is nothing more than fertilizer for what I have become. I can use, I can use from my, my history. I can use from my history things that just enhance now, now that I know him. But the next thing he says is, that I may, I count them all done that I may know him. And that's his progressive knowledge. That's his knowledge that progressively wants to know more. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Folks, if we, if we can really say that, we're on the road. Praise God. Can you say, I, I want to know, well, we all want to know the power of his resurrection, but do you want to know the fellowship of his suffering? How do you suffer? Doing everything right in the hands of evil men, women. You want that? Well, if you live enough like him, you'll get it. If you live enough like Jesus Christ, you'll, you will get in the fellowship of his suffering. You'll be treated badly for doing that which is right. Praise God. <clears throat> and there is no... <coughs> Uh, the Lord says there's no kudos for suffering for wrong. He says if you're a busybody and you get yourself in trouble with your mouth, eat it. <laughs> I'm not it. You know, I'm not in the game with you. You eat it. You did that. But in fact, if you did this for doing what I called you to do, he said there's a blessedness in that suffering that you'll be rewarded for. He said carry it. Carry the cross. Now that preaches easier than it lives out. That that teaches easier than it lives. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he was singing at midnight. He was singing praise unto God. You think most people would do that? And that's not, I'm not talking about these jails now where there's a, 
a gym on one side and a cafeteria and a color TV and talking about a prison. Well, anyway, let's move on. His divine power, past tense, hath given us, verse 3, hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The more you know him, the more power you're going to be able to tap into, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, and here we go, precious again, with a precious faith in, in verse 1, and a precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By these things, these precious promises, that's what we're talking about this morning. By the precious promises of Christ and through the knowledge of Christ, we might be, he doesn't say we, and I'm telling you, most people are not, most Christians are not. We might be partakers of the divine nature. You know how many Christians are out there today who were once busy for the Lord and now they're just living as though he doesn't exist? Oh, they talk some about it, but they don't mean it because they don't do it. They might be partakers. They are not partaking of this power. And then it says, having escaped the corruption. You know what Peter says about the corruption and escaping that? The end of, uh, of 1 Peter. And he talks about getting back involved in this world and entangled. Because you hear the truth and you accept the truth as truth, but there's a living of the thing. There's a living out of the truth, and, and many people don't do it. That's why he says that you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. Now, now, 1 Peter, a page or two back, 1 Peter in chapter 2, Sorry, this chapter, this second Peter chapter two, and it says in, in verse twenty now. This is about people that are corrupt. It says after after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, they again entangled therein. How many people do you know like that? They know the truth of the gospel, but they left. And John even goes so far to say in First John, he says if they if they were with us and left us, they were never with us. I don't know. I can't say that dogmatically. But I'll say this. If they escaped the world, the pollutions, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, and are again entangled therein they over, and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. It's worse, it's worse than if they were never saved. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And then, Paul, and then he starts acting crude and saying stuff I can't say. Listen to what he said. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed wallowing in the mire. And I ask people almost... Uh, uh, it's at least weekly. You used to be in church, yeah? 
You enjoy it? Yeah? Why are you not in it? An event. What? An event took place in the church. Something happened. Something happened. And that tremendous love I have for Christ washed away by someone doing something I don't agree with. Mental illness. You can't see it? Folks, I'm telling you. Mental illness. Schizophrenic behavior in the, in the religious world. In the spiritual world, it's schizophrenic behavior is mental illness. You love your wife? She bought the wrong jelly. I can never be part of this again. You love your husband? You see the car you brought home? I hate green. You see this stuff? Now, what do you say to that person? Hey, I haven't seen you with your wife lately. No. She wants store brand jelly. Oh, something happened you didn't like and now it's over? I'd like you to know where most preachers would be if things in the church made them walk away from Christ. Here's what we got to get to, verse 4. These precious promises. This says, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Let's talk about nature. I'm talking about nature. We'll probably be, might take the rest of the hour, but nature is an interesting thing. It, and it, um, it determines at least four things in this world. The nature of something. Your nature, my nature, the nature. Nature determines, first of all, appetite. Pigs want slop. Is that right? Pigs love slop. Dogs will even eat vomit. Theirs, of course. That's, it'd be nasty otherwise. Dogs will eat their own vomit. If a dog's eating vomit, there's a reason to help the dog. They don't feel well. You wouldn't either. But that's the nature of a pig and the nature of a dog. The nature of a thing determines its appetite. Sheep eat grass. Cows eat grass. It's their nature. You get that? The nature also determines behavior. Birds fly and squirrels climb trees and fish swim in the water. That's their behavior. They behave like that. The nature of the dog. And this all has a fly to the people. That's where we're going with this. The nature also determines environment. Squirrels like trees. They live in the trees and, and snakes live in holes. Moles live underground. The nature of the thing determines its environment. And the nature of determines also our associations. Our association. Some things running at lions in prides and birds in flocks and fishes are going schools and there's different associations. And so this says you might, you might take on the new nature. You might do that. You have the power through God 
in the person of Christ, the power has been given you to have this new nature, divine nature, godliness, godly nature. But then we have to look at our appetites, our behavior, our chosen environment, and who we associate with. Now, people tell me they're a Christian, and they'll go and be involved in the most vile things that this country offers. Do you believe them? I struggle with that. Is that arrogance and, and uh, better than thou, holier than thou? You did what? Oh, we went last weekend. Boy, we went down to this thing, and boy, I'm like, you did that? Were you comfortable there? Had a great time. Had a great time. Hmm. Really? The Bible says we're supposed to feed on the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you straight up, from the confession in my chair at work, my, my clients through the, through the years, this is not number one on the reading list of people, not even Christians. You know, the TV Guide trumped this some years ago. The TV Guide trumped the Word of God from professing Christians. It's been a pleasure for years to be part of a salon and watch these old women come in with the books they read. Going to have some time under the dryer. So it's a guy with no shirt always and hair like a woman. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those little ladies, I'm telling you what now, a bus brings them, they can't walk to their seat, and they open that book and sit there and grin. They must be living some kind of fantasy of memory of some kind or, or desire, but really? And through the years, I walked over and got down in front of them and said, what's that about? And they closed the book. Man, them suckers, that's fat. You couldn't get a guy to read a book that fat. We don't look at instruction manuals very close. We look at the picture on the box. But those women are in there just scanning that and kind of grinning. And the few teeth they have left are showing for a minute. I'm like, really? That's not the rub. The rub is many of them have told me they're Christian. Is that what you want to read? Really? How many men have come to my, my office leading business people in our community in Lawrence? How many? And I go up there late. I, go up, I don't meet them during the day. I go up there late, meet them at 9 o'clock at night, hooked on pornography. Got a wonderful home, beautiful wife, children, flourishing business, leader name in the community that's outstanding, and they're hooked on pornography. And I'll say, everything else doesn't matter to me. Are you a Christian? Yes. How's that happen? How's that, how's that happen? I, I don't know. But we are living in the flesh, I'll tell you that. And there is, there is just exactly as Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, that said there is a besetting sin that we each have to work with. A besetting sin. Many of those sins are put in our, in our youth by adults. Many of those are put in by adults. Not being treated properly by a parent, a close neighbor, a babysitter. Those things are put into us. 
bad behavior, nasty things. But it says we might be partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't say automatically are or you will be or shall be. It says you might be. We have that available to us. It's our choice to live like that as a Christian. Having past tense escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. And besides this, give all diligence and add to your faith virtue. Virtue. I think we're... Christians ought to just tell the Lord straight up. I know the gospel now. I've heard it. I'm not going to do it. Just tell the Lord straight up. No, I'm running my life, and you're not going to run it. You're not going to run my life. I'm not, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. You think the Lord, he, he hears that anyway. He, he knows the heart. But we play a game with him and say this. I'm a good Christian. Well, look what I do. I go to church once in a while, I put some money in the plate, and I've never really harmed anyone. Is that right? Is that right? The damage we do to our children by not following the precepts of Scripture is absolute slaughter to the children. It slaughters them. It slaughters their children. Can you live outside of God's precepts and still be blessed? Oh, you can still make money. That's not hard. In America, in the last 40 years, if you don't have good money set aside, you're a fool. Or you're a big giver. But I'll say this to you. If you didn't make money in, in America from 1950, uh, 50s and to the 80s, and even into now, if you, didn't set, if you didn't make good money, you're absolutely a monkey. And if you did, you're just a rich monkey. If that is, if that is what your heart, your future, your desires are, is more stuff slaughter the children. They will grow up to want more stuff. Work all you can and earn all you can is not scriptural. Be content with such as you have. Work six days a week. Six days a week. And the, and the seventh day is set aside for recreation. It's called recreation. The seventh day is set aside for recreation. Now, I'm going to tell you, you're going to tell the Lord, because you're telling me, you don't know how busy I am. Well, I do know this, you're busier than Jesus was. And by the way, all he came to do was save the universe. That was his only plan, so no wonder he, he spent more time with the Father in prayer, about as much as we spend with television and foolishness. He would go, he set himself apart and talk to his Father about it and come down. And every time he came down from that prayer session, usually prayed all night. While the disciples slept, he went up and prayed all night. And when he came down, he found them in town messing around, not getting it done, and he said, stand back. And Ray Bowles wrote a really nice song about that called Here Comes a Miracle. Here Comes a Miracle. Jesus coming down the path from the mountain after the sun has come up, and they said, where have you been? And he said, I've been with my father. You know what they finally learned enough to ask him? <laughs> Would you teach us to pray? Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave a model prayer. He didn't say every time you sit down to dinner, pray this same prayer. As a matter of fact, he said, vain repetitions get you nowhere with the Father. But he said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? 
thy kingdom come. And, and, and there's a group now, and they're teaching the kingdom is not going to come. There's a big group now teaching no kingdom, no millennial reign, no kingdom of Christ, and that Christians today are not called to the kingdom. Read your Bible. That's exactly what we're called to, the kingdom. And it says now, verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, that means uh, early at the task and long at the labor, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We have to stop with that, but I want to see you this morning that Paul, uh, Peter says here, we're supposed to have this faith as a Christian. If you read these verses here, it says in the first two verses, we're supposed to have faith in his person, Jesus Christ. That's where our faith is based, in a person. You go down now, the results of that faith is a spiritual growth. He says you'll live a life of this divine nature. And you go down to the next few verses and the Result of that living out well is a practical knowledge, a practical living out. And so virtue means moral excellence. Moral excellence. Knowledge means a practical discernment, a growing practical discernment. And if I could say one thing about the church around me that I've noticed is there's very little discernment in the church. Real honest, godly discernment, I think, is lacking in the church. But it lacks because we don't know him. I will say this to you and offend most of you probably, but if you think an hour in church a week is anywhere near what the Lord wants from you, you miss the boat completely. You don't understand what he's calling you to. Worship is not a place or a time. It's a lifestyle. Worship is who you are. It's our daily life. It's not an activity in a place at a time. And so this practical growth of spiritual knowledge, it brings discernment. Because he says in verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind. What things? Verse 8. If these things be in you and abound and make you, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how many people are not fruitful? This year, the, the apples are, are a good, uh, good crop this year. Apples did well this year. Yes, they did. Apples did very well somehow in this ugly drought thing. But early rain, early rain came in and then it got hot. I don't know how that works, but the apples are good this year. And uh, when you look at an apple tree now, the, the branches are about to touch the ground if they don't get those apples kicked <coughs> off of there, which reminds you of the old... It's a spiritual truth. It's a parable, really. <coughs> the most fruitful branches bow the lowest. The more fruitful you are for Christ, the more humble you will be. They call James old camel knees. Yeah, they could be the worst things. But they call James camel knees. I read the book of... Uh, Zach bought me a book. He wanted me to learn to read the life of A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer. I love to read Tozer. Tozer was uh, such a 
preacher that he preached himself on every platform across North America, and nobody would have him. But he, but he put out a paper, a, a publication called Alliance, Christian Alliance, and he wrote that paper. Tremendous, um, tremendous preacher, teacher. He didn't give much room. He said, if you're a sinner, get quit it. And he preached what sin was. But Tozer, he said, interesting things. I, I'm, not, I'm not in the same game. He said, I keep ten books in my library. And if I look at a book and I think I want it, I have to decide which other one I want to get rid of. Now, there's a man who lived very, uh, very slim. He wouldn't own a car. He had five children. He would not own a car. He walked from one side of town to the other to his pastorate in the morning, back home at lunch, back home in the And they said the thing about him was the knees of his suit were worn out and the toes of his shoes. He said he spent 10 hours a day in prayer. And it's quoted then, they call James in the Bible, James, the half-brother of Jesus, they call him old camel knees. They said once he realized who his brother was, he repented and lived the life. Amen. First pastor of the <laughs> church in Jerusalem. But you see this now. These things, if these things be in you, now that's the, that's the uh, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, if these things be in you, you shall not be blind. You know, people, the Lord said, you're blind. You don't see. You can't see what I'm talking about. You're blind to that because you haven't built up the godly characteristics the Holy Spirit is willing to give us. If these things be in you, you might be partakers of the divine nature. You don't have to be. Here's what you can do, and we're done. Here's what you can do, and many people choose it. Here's what you can do. You can get saved, mess around in church for a while, leave that, go out and live your life, and end up in heaven. You can. You can. And you'll be ashamed of his appearing. You'll have no confidence when he comes. Everything you've done will be burned up, and you'll go into heaven as about as smell like smoke. <laughs> Jude says you'll smell like smoke, but you'll be in heaven. Or you can come to him with a grateful heart and say this, I didn't know that you had a plan for me. And frankly, my plan's not working all that well. Oh, I got a lot of stuff. I got enough money. Everybody in this room has enough money. We're here. You ought to be in a third world country today. Everybody in this room has enough money. Everybody in this room has a convenient life. Amen. Everybody in this room has way too much, by the way. Amen. Everybody in this room has way too much. We do. Can you dance through your living room and get to the other side? Can you open a closet and know the door is not still shut? Can you? We have way too much. But what the Lord is going to say when we stand before him one day, and this is on my heart almost 24-7, Don, I gave you a life. Janet and I were at the doctor the last time they worked on my heart, and he said, you should not have been here since after second grade. Your heart is not made right. And everybody with this malady that we know of had died somewhere. That, that, that terrible headline of the kid who played on the playground and dropped dead at recess. 
that kid who was working in the backyard and dropped dead. He said, and it, it, it might be that one kid who ran the goal. He ran the football through the goalposts Friday night, and everybody's cheering, and he got through the goalposts and died. You heard of those? I've seen those headlines. He said, "There's no reason medically you have been here since second grade." May not be a medical reason, but I know of another reason, don't you? Amen, brother. The Lord's going to say to me, Don, I gave you a life. And I gave you life that wasn't even supposed to be there, according to the people. But he's not people. And he's going to look at me and say this, I gave you life. What would you do with it? What would you do with that life? Oh, I was locked and loaded. I was waiting to kill somebody. Because I'm a Christian. And people are evil. You know what Paul said? Oh, God. Paul said, I was in town preaching the gospel. And I woke up in prison. I got three broken ribs. I got blood running down my neck. My left arm's out of joint. And how this happened to my feet, I'll never know. And they said, what happened, Paul? He said, I knew they were rushing me, but this is the last I remember. What are you going to do? Oh, Doc, Luke's coming. Luke's coming to heal me up. And I intend to go back and finish my sermon. I never got to tell them how to be saved. They cut me off too soon. I'm going back and tell them. And he said, Paul, they're going to really kill you this time. He said, but if there's one, if there's one, most Christians won't bring it up again in public with their friends if they even act like they don't want to hear it. last thing I'm going to say, what if you go to heaven one day? What if you're in heaven one day and you look over and see someone, they look at you and they say, I'm here because of you. I'm here today because you took your time. And when I told you I didn't want you anymore, you came again because you loved me. I'm here for you. What if there's hundreds? What if there's a thousand that say, I'm here because of them? They were relentless for Christ. I told them I don't like them. I didn't, like, I didn't want to be with them. I don't want to hear about them. But they came back that one last time. And my son just died. My heart was open. And I listened and I accepted it. Huh? What? Is it worth one for eternity? Is it? Amen, brother. Or we can pull away and say I, I was offended. I'm not doing it again. Not for me. It's our call. Second Peter, we're going to go through it. It is the Christian life lived out. What is a witness? It's your story. How do you start with someone? You don't have to. You don't have to be an expert on the Bible. You just have to say, "This is what happened to me." I know that I know that I know. Is that right? Preacher, would you close us in prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this for this time together. Father, teach our hearts. Help us to go out and to live it and to to show others, Lord, by, by the love that we uh, show them, Lord, that, that, that we really mean it, that we really do love you, and that we understand that you love us and have made us a home in heaven and forgiven our sins. 
and help us to be an example, Lord, and, and to obey you in what we do each day. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for being here.